This is Concepts, where two pretentious sirs quibble over ideas that explain today's world. Phil Shea and Steve Rose. All right, welcome to Concepts. Welcome back. My name is Phil Shea. And I'm Steve Rose. Yeah, there we go. We are saying our names. <laughs> Slowly getting getting to be more professional, I guess. Not, not really. We realized we hadn't introduced ourselves ever. And so if you didn't know who we are by our voices, you would... Well, I mean, they still don't really know us. We should say, my name is Phil Shea. I am currently working on a Dungeons & Dragons website. And I write fiction for money. That's my current job. <laughs> Super Steve. geek. Ugh. <laughs> yep. Um, listen to the friggin' podcast. Of course, we're super geeks. Both of us are nerds. <laughs> in our own ways. In our own ways. Oh, yeah. You're just a cool nerd then. Yeah. Is that what you're trying I'm to say? I'm a cooler nerd than you. So... What are we talking about today? Okay. You're not going to say what you're working on? No. All right, then we'll just skip that. <laughs> I fine. I don't care about you. That's fine. <laughs> this is, and then you'll come back and complain about how I didn't give you enough attention. Okay. So today we're talking about idea excavation. It's yeah, honestly, it's an idea of my own. I just, I can't find, I'm sure it exists somewhere, but I can't find a formal term for this that directly addresses what I'm talking about. Idea excavation can be summarized in take what's valuable and leave what's not. And when I searched that term, for some reason, it was just about employees being fired or <laughs> managers screwing up and firing employees. Or it just had something to do with like resumes and applications and stuff. So I don't really get... <laughs> Why or how? In archaeology, excavation is to carefully dig out all the trash and take what's valuable and try not to damage it in the process. And that's kind of why I, I chose that term, because it's to do with hearing maybe an idiot talking and you don't want to listen to anything they say, but they may have something of value still. I think this is encapsulated <laughs> in the phrase, it's by Galileo, which the quote is, quote, I have never met a man so ignorant that I couldn't learn something from him, end quote. What do you think about this? So idea excavation, I didn't really realize it was about taking what's valuable and leaving the rest because I was thinking about excavation in the context of building a home. I guess it's kind of relevant to my situation right now. Wait, excavate? Isn't that just mainly just digging a hole? Yeah, they excavate for putting the basement in. They can lay the foundation in the excavated part of the land. So I was thinking idea excavation was digging deep into an idea to see what's underneath and then you can lay a solid oh. foundation for for your thoughts. So this is So that's why you kept being like I'm going to help you excavate this idea. Yeah. <laughs> that's not and I kept being like okay, I guess that works. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that we we took excavation from very different perspectives. I was doing mine from construction and yours is more from archaeology. Right. Yeah. But, but the concept of idea excavation, I think you made it up. It's not really out there. Uh, I mean, I guess I just don't, it's so obvious that you would think that there's gotta be some label that I just haven't come across. seems like <laughs> somebody must've slapped a label on this. Cause it seems like so commonplace, almost like it should be just a random phrase, yeah, but it should be, it should be. But yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm proposing idea excavation. So uh, I, I was talking to a friend about this and they suggested that it would require steel manning, that it was similar to it. And I think, I don't think it's required, but I think it helps. So just a refresher on that, steel manning is taking the strongest form of somebody's argument and then retorting on that, giving, giving them the most defensible interpretation of what they've said. And while that is useful, um, what I'm saying here instead is like, okay, suppose you're reading a book Okay. A great example is the book, letting go. You push that on me and it's just, 
It's so woo-woo. Oh my God. I don't even remember what the value of that book was, but I do remember it being valuable. It's so good, but you have to let go of (laughs) the the kind of crazy ideas. Right. And because like he opens it with just the most outlandish garbage. You're like, oh God, I almost put it down several times, but I was like, okay, no, but Steve said this has value in it. So I kept going and yeah, truly I had to shear off quite a bit of that book, but the, the idea I remember being valuable, but I, I want to reread it. But at the same time, I don't want to endure that. Like saying that you can cure your, your short-sightedness by letting go of emotional, what emotional stress, letting go of by letting go of your attachment to having to see, I don't know. He, he talked about driving around without his glasses on and it seemed kind of dangerous actually. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a great <laughs> prescription. So I, I actually found this idea to be interesting. I ended up kind of diving into the nomological network a bit, but I think it is relevant. It's more to do with ideas. Relevant. Yeah, I got to sing song it. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think this approach requires a couple things. Okay, so steel manning, like I said, it helps, but I think it has to do a lot. And I think this is where we keep ending up again and again as I edit our podcast episodes that it has to do with getting rid of ego to some degree and also having the intellectual confidence to say that this this makes sense, but the rest of this is, does not make sense, especially when it's like a respected published book or something that a lot of people believe in you have to think for yourself and be confident enough in your ability to think, to say, "Mm, no, I don't agree with this. This is, this is pretty much the concept of critical thinking. Is it not? It's, I guess a tool of critical thinking. It's a extra side thing, not, not directly related. I think it's, it's hard. You're right. There are a lot of related concepts, but I think this one specifically is about even if, Okay. So going back to that phrase, there's never a man so ignorant that I couldn't learn something from him. One of the explanations, so I I looked at that quote to see if I could find something related. And again, I couldn't except for Quora, a person asking what it meant. And people say that they, they focus a lot on declarative memory, which if you're unfamiliar, declarative memory is things that you can, you can say in words, you can express in words, facts, but then there's other things like procedural memory, or I guess you could we extract information by just watching somebody. So I take that more broadly instead of just saying, cause like they interpret it as everybody knows something, everyone has their own experiences and they can explain things or know things that we don't know. And they can teach you those things verbally is how people are taking it more literally. But I'm saying that if you see somebody who doesn't want to teach you anything and is just a complete dick to everybody around them, then you can see from their behavior that that is not what you want to be. And you can, and use them as a mirror on yourself and say, am I like that? How am I like that? Can I not be like that? <laughs> that reminds me of your concept of the loser that we talked about in the growth mindset versus fixed mindset episode. Yeah. That, that's right. kind of where we landed in terms of what the loser label would entail. I think it's useful in that way because by defining it, you can say you can... I don't think it's so useful to sling around, but I think it's useful to use as an examination of what, what would a loser be to you and how can you avoid doing that? I guess it's the opposite of choosing who you wish to be and moving towards that. This is kind of choosing an archetype who you choose. You don't want to be Mm -hmm. and moving away from it. So you're excavating the ideas that are worth keeping in that other person and then throwing it. Or you can actually, the, the lesson can be to just not be like them. So yeah. while they can be caustic and very difficult to deal with and you don't want to even think anything positive about them, 
like Trump, for instance, Trump is great at manipulating the media. Overall, I think is a garbage person, but people will not even concede that he has any admirable quote, but this is where or admirable trait. But this is where idea excavation has to come in, where you remove your ego. Cause a lot of that is like, they are just so, I mean, this is kind of ego related. It's just, he violates their morals so much that they just can't give him anything. But that, that means that he somehow became president just by pure chance. And he was able to do a lot of stuff by pure chance and luck, but clearly he was doing it with some level of skill, even if it was sometimes quite bumbling. Right. So you're learning from the negative. It's not like there's like a few good ideas like that book called letting go where there was actually some real gold in there and you're, you're kind of, you're panning for gold in that, in that sense. But in this other sense, you're looking at, what's the exact opposite of this because there's no admirable traits. But I guess in terms of Trump, you you said that there are some admirable traits as in charismatic manipulation of the media, I guess, if you, if you call that an admirable trait. I mean, yeah, like the ability to do these things, the skill is admirable. How he uses it is a different story altogether. Exactly. But that, that is, yeah. And then there's the negative as well. So you can extract positive value from a negative, like a person being a complete asshole or running around. Like I had this, friend I had a disagreement with and well, it wasn't really a disagreement. I messaged them during work hours and then they came back and got pissed off at me for messaging them on Facebook during work hours. And they dismissed me very rudely as though it's like all my bad that they responded during their work hours. I (laughs) I don't expect somebody to respond during that time. And so then I just said like tact is useful. Like you should, I didn't say you should, I just said, I, I requested that in the future, she'd just say, I'm busy and I'll get to this later. And then she said that it was my fault for taking it that way. And that she was just being herself and that it's, it's my problem that I was offended by it. So in that, I guess my lesson was that I don't want to put off people that way. And I think that kind of behavior puts you in a bad position because it it just creates more enemies unnecessarily Mm -hmm. or bad, bad will. And so that was kind of a, a lesson there. Right. So you're learning from the negative in that sense. Yes. I also think this, where I was tying this in with ego was, a lot of people, and us to some degree, I'm sure everyone does this, takes ideas and kind of internalizes them. Like we were talking about with internalized capitalism, you take this idea and you internalize it so that it becomes part of your identity. Right. And if you're too married to an idea, then you, if somebody is saying something against those ideas, but they still have value in there, you might not listen to any of the valuable ideas because it's all lumped together as a threat to yourself because it's attacking that particular idea. So... Oh. So ego is a disruption to proper excavating and learning from the nuggets of wisdom that may be in this broader statement that you you are threatened by because there's some elements that question your, your identity. Right. So like your example of panning for gold, it's like you're panning for gold and because the gold is among dirt, you throw it away. Ah, I can't, I can't touch this dirt. It threatens who I am. Yeah, like Peterson, actually, Jordan Peterson is an example of that, where he says a lot of inflammatory things. But if you listen to what he says directly, there's a lot of value there. You don't have to agree with everything he says or even like him as a person. But some of the things he says are are completely valuable. Mm, Yes. I was just listening to a Peterson uh, podcast, actually. Uh, Oh, the priest one? With the, the bishop. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, I haven't, I haven't listened to that. But I know you were admiring their their technical setup. Yeah, the the main thing I took from that was uh, what a really nice camera setup he's got there. The bishop, not, not Peterson. <laughs> yeah, now Peterson's usually is garbage for the ones I've seen. But uh, yeah. I guess he focuses heavily on the ideas and the fact that he has already got quite a bit of fame slash infamy. Now, the fact that I mentioned that I enjoy listening to some of Peterson's ideas is almost like a, a very careful thing that when you say it, you think, do I want this made public? Yeah, I think this goes back to what I was talking about or what I discovered earlier this week where the right wing's application of postmodernism, which that just kind of blew my mind and was like, wow. <laughs> Because like the the left's application, they are the ones that created postmodernism and they are the ones that most use it and are attacked by the right for using it, which I guess is that uh, truth is subjective. Science may not know stuff, questioning whether science is entirely valid and saying that there are other ways of knowing things, which to me just feels like intellectualized mysticism, like a, a backslide into anti-intellectualism. What do you think? Am I accurate in that? You actually studied it. Yeah, I think we might be losing a few people in terms of where we're at because we we come with context here. And if people don't know who Peterson is, I think that might be something we'd have to. Well, okay. All we need to know is that like he, he I mean, people, people have generally heard of him, heard of him, but he's a Canadian professor. He stood up against Bill C-16, I think it was, that was, uh, he saw as compelled speech, which it seemed to be. And you can argue whether he was right or wrong on that, but he was basically saying that he just, he wanted to defend freedom of speech and not require compelled speech. And compelled speech means you must say this or there are legal punishments in store. And in this case, it was using trans people's labels as they request. Uh, he has said numerous times that he would respect them as individuals. And if they requested it, he would call them that. But he's against the idea of the, the law forcing you to do these things because that's, kind of an infringement on our fundamental right of freedom of speech. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but highly it was polarized, it, highly polarized, highly controversial. And people attacked him for being a transphobe and saying that he was overreaching in that. But there have been instances so far that have shown him to be at least somewhat prescient, like uh, Lindsay Shepard, her whole debacle at um, Laurier. Mm. But I mean, I don't, I don't know. I haven't really been following it that, that yeah. much. So but even he, he's a controversial figure. Mentioning his name and suggesting you, you listen to some of his stuff, it's it comes with potential criticism of baggage. Oh, are you a, yeah baggage of of the of certain labels like as you said transphobe and and what we're talking about alt here right right wing yeah, alt right and he, he's not he he doesn't identify with it at all but uh, he comes with a lot of supporters in in that area and so it, because it's mostly male supporters <laughs> he speaks to disenfranchised males disenfranchised and he, males yeah and he tries to like give them a path to be more productive at least that's my takeaway from it but maybe I'm being too generous yeah, when you say disenfranchised you, you decide, males whatever. that comes with some baggage as well because it's like well they're a dominant group potentially. But this would be more in the realm of... Not potentially. <laughs> they definitely... For sure. Like men generally are more dominant, but very, not, very that doesn't much. mean that every single person in that, that subsection can't be further divided into different, like rich and poor. I guess incel type disenfranchisement uh, and or lower socioeconomic status disenfranchisement. Yeah. And it seems like he's trying to combat that, give them 
a, a path towards productivity and actually being a good member of society. He, he seems to be trying to de-radicalize more than anything from what I can tell. And actually recently the uh, Marvel came out and basically kind of parroted him in a supervillain, a Nazi supervillain, the Red Skull, Captain America's arch nemesis. He, they, he basically went on YouTube and spoke to men in a similar fashion and they basically are equating them, which I was... <laughs> pretty taken aback at that interpretation. I guess you could, you can kind of see that, but not, not really with this particular individual, but mm, is yeah. what it is. So saying you listen to his stuff comes with that baggage and we're talking about actually uh, taking what but, is good and useful and not necessarily having to buy into everything and or the connotations that come with it. Yeah, but this also goes back to some of the things we've talked about before, which is kind of why I've tried to embed those earlier. Like the straw man, it's definitely straw manning, straw manning his stances and reducing them as much as possible. As well, they're doing something that I've come across actually in the pickup community. This is the idea that you take... It's, it's nut picking basically by a different name where you pick somebody that you think is crazy enough. You hold them up as the example to laugh at and say, look, look at these idiots. Everyone in that subgroup that we don't want to respect is like this idiot. And so with, with Peterson, they keep not individuals in this, this case, they take statements he's made, blow them out of proportion and make it seem like that's the only thing he's ever said. And that deters people from ever even looking at what he actually says or listening to what he actually says. Cause then it becomes kind of a, why would I listen to this bigot? Why would I even give him any airspace? Why would I give him any views? And so then people don't see that that's an attack that is very successful by getting people to not even engage with what he says. Right. So it's, it's an interesting neutering tool of somebody that they don't want to speak for whatever reason. Right. Yeah. And, and as our, one of our other themes, you said one of the themes here was ego. I think one of our other themes has been open, neutral type conversations that try to explore concepts and ideas that explain today's Aiming world. to get to truth yeah. rather than yeah. defending ego still. I think it all kind of still goes back to ego. Yeah. Yeah. And we're very flexible in, in this. And if somebody were to challenge it, we'd be like, Oh, okay, let's consider that other option rather than immediately going into defense mode. Yes. Yeah. Engaging with it. But the thing is, okay, so we're always talking about postmodernism there with the, the left, they question whether reality is a thing and a lot of everything's just socially constructed, blah, blah, blah. So the concept of postmodernism, I don't, I think this is something it's a big that, one. And I'm just touching on that because yeah. the, the reason why idea excavation is often not done or put down a lot of the time is because of in-group, out-group stuff, but also because of the right wing's application of postmodernism, which is that they ironically take positions just to get to the other side to look stupid or just to try to get the other side to look hypocritical or stupid or incompetent or whatever they want. Yeah. They aren't actually taking a, a firmly held or strongly held belief, a genuinely held belief. They're just taking a stance just to get a rise out of the other side, which means that you can't ever be sure that the person you're speaking with is genuinely holding the belief they could just be trying to make you look stupid which means that if somebody disagrees with you they may just be doing it to get your goat and not actually engage and so it, it has led to continual bad faith discussions because the one side that would like to engage will not because they've been they've been had in this way too many times and the other side just laughs about how they've basically poisoned the well so much yeah. And in simple terms, the idea of postmodernism is uh, fundamentally questioning the nature and existence of truth. And right. yeah, it's the opposite of modernism, which developed uh, after the late 18th century with uh, 
the development of science, rationality, and, and Western civilization really embracing these ideals and became the modern ideals. And the idea of postmodernism is saying, well, can we actually find truth? Can science tell us the true nature of things? And this is not a religious version of questioning because religion had always been there competing with science for the nature of what is truth. I guess you can say these are epistemological arguments. Although they use logic and science too, though, depending on where we look. Like Galileo, I think, wasn't he? Or was it the person that discovered that the earth goes around the sun, I think? No, it wasn't Galileo. I think that was maybe Epicurus. No, definitely not. Maybe Galileo. Uh, anyway, they, they were, I think, condemned to death for it. I might be misremembering. My history is not great. Yeah, there's, there's some more nuance in that. But the basic idea is that the religious nature of truth had been competing with the scientific nature of truth in the 18th century. And it's an epistemological question of how do we come to truth? It's, hmm. it's, a, it's a process. And science developed a particular process called the scientific method. And, and so those two had been competing throughout the 20th century. And then here comes postmodernism and says, you're both wrong. We can't know truth at all. I wouldn't say they were competing in the 20th century. It's pretty firmly established that like religion doesn't get us nearly as far as science. <laughs> that shouldn't be a controversial statement. Right. Well, science was firmly, yeah, it was firmly established. But I guess in the U.S. there had been competition, let's just say. Yeah, uh, I guess there's reactionary movements. Right. And, and, and postmodernism came in and said, you're both wrong. We can't know truth. It's extreme skepticism. Yeah. It, it's, it, it kind of threw out both of them and said, we just can't know what truth is. And God, that is such a backslide. And this is often associated with a left wing criticism of, of what what exists and it can fall into an extreme deconstruction of everything we know. And we, we come to a place of what can we know? What do we know? And, and we don't know, do we know anything? And you can see some of the questioning coming out in the, the gender politics and there's some usefulness to the skepticism and questioning, of course. But when you go to the yeah. extreme end of, of nothing is real on the left, then what are our institutions? How do we have a semblance of order in in our society? Now that my my big problem with this a lot of the time was that whenever you would add, it became this kind of intellectual pecking order in the ivory tower. Like the person that most understood it would be uh, more revered, or if somebody was higher status, then their interpretation would be more valued for some reason. And whenever I remember this was popular, I think queer theory is kind of the more, the not, it's not the same theoretically, but the way it's treated seems similar mm -hmm. where if you ask what is queer theory, what is postmodernism? The responses I get are just so infuriating because if it's a useful theory, you should be able to freaking define it. Instead, they say, oh, whole courses are dedicated to that. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. That's a really big question. Then what the hell use is your, your theory if you can't even really firm it up at all? If you can't summarize it in at least a few sentences or, I don't know, like a paragraph, the summary, like the very basics of the thing, then it's not a good theory, in my opinion. At least not yet. It, it sounds like you're probably talking to uh, inexperienced grad students who had recently learned about these ideas or had learned about these ideas in a somewhat superficial way and they are uncomfortable talking about it so they just say 
see this book and or course. I think that's where your criticism is probably directed at. Perhaps. But I mean, again, I'm not throwing away the entire theory. I think a lot of it is damaging and that if you lean into it, it's as a trend, it's a really dangerous trend, but like questioning certain things like gender and other things that we've just taken for granted that that is useful to, to open up those for discussion. But I don't think we should be like, we don't know anything at all. Like then how did we get to space? How do we have like TVs and phones and shit? Like we clearly have figured some stuff out and like physics and hard sciences, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this is not to throw out these particular theories. It's more of a a criticism of either an extreme end of those theories or a superficial or naive interpretation of the theories. Right. I guess further, I guess with the idea of excavation and ego, I think a lot of politics, when you've married to a particular stance, like either the, the party you're voting for or a particular ideology of a group, then you often will not accept or listen to any challenges to that. Because it's, again, you've identified too much with it. Maybe it's some cost effects you've put in too much. You just can't, it's too expensive to give up now, perhaps. But that kind of goes in. But I, I wanted to move into some cautions with this particular thing. Because sometimes, okay, there's something called the nomological network. And it's related. So bear with me. A nomological network, as I understand it, is a system of constructs or ideas, you could say, that are all kind of around each other. They're not directly related to each other, but you're trying to figure out how a phenomena that's related to those constructs. Think of it like a, I, I, I'm picturing it like a, um, a spider web. So each time the, the web touches another thing, that's a node, that's an idea that is supported by the ones locally around it. And as say a fly tries to pass through, if it's supported, then it'll get incorporated into the web as another node, let's say. So kind of like a red ro- three-dimensional Red Rover. Red Rover in space is what I have written down here, where you try to send it through, and if it breaks through, then it probably wasn't it wasn't supported by this, the evidence that we currently have, because those ideas that are already existing should be fairly solid, or at least seem to be solid. So let's think of an example. I mean, this, the only one that comes to mind is a hot-button issue. It's uh, about whether there's any gender difference at birth, because the nomological systems around that seem to point that there is at least some subtle difference between genders, which would be like looking at monkeys. If we give male and female chimps of various species, if we give them toys, then the females will play with the girl stereotypically girl toys and the, or in in fashions similar to how human girls play. And the boys will be comparable to how human boys play. Another example is in biology. I can't remember the disorder, or I don't remember if it's a disorder, which is a quirk, but it's a, uh, some girls have elevated levels of testosterone late in later stage of development. So all embryos start off as male and then boys are bombarded with testosterone and other androgens that make us turn male. And some girls have a bombardment of these same androgens, which are male hormones, late stage of gestation. And that causes them to behave and present socially more like boys. They have more rough and tumble play. They would prefer to play with trucks and other stereotypically male things. Mm -hmm. And so in this system, the nomological network implies what is called nomological, I think validity, which implies that that has some support for it. It's not like a hundred percent. You still need to have some more direct observations, but it's, it's fairly solid to to fit in there. It's kind of like what I was talking about with parsimony. The simplest explanation is usually the correct one because to say there are no gender differences at all. And this is completely social is a much more complicated stance and requires a lot more evidence to be thrown away in order to be true. Well. No opinion, huh? Nope. <laughs> it's not going to touch that one. That's not fine. Not going to touch that one. 
I mean, say whatever you want about it. I don't think that it, that it's destiny in that way. You can still change it. I think the far left and when it comes to gender is wrong in saying that there is no such thing as completely socially constructed. And the far right is also wrong because they are very much more rigid with their perspective on what a man and a woman is. I think it's somewhere in between where we're born with some extra sway in one direction or the other, but it can change with life. It's nature and nurture, not either or. And I think that's pretty much where most genetics and stuff comes out. How much is nature? How much is nurture? That is the part you'd have to debate. But in this case, it seems like there is at least some element of nature. I'm trying to connect this back to the idea of idea excavation. Okay, I can do that. So (laughs) with this idea, excavation is a dangerous activity because as you do that, you might actually end up going down down areas that are full of quackery because you're trying to find the value. And because if you don't have a strong enough nomological network, you haven't expanded it enough, then you can't tell what is good and what is bad. This is how I think I have here dangerous territories are like conspiracy theories, MLMs, religious movements, some university disciplines. I guess a lot of them, whatever kind of gets tries to get you while you're young, it's because your nomological network is too narrow and it can't tell your bullshit meter is not developed enough. That's what the nomological system basically is. Can I try to define the nomological system a little clearer because you're throwing it around it and it's no, that's basically it's bull. Okay. I I was just about to do that. It was firming it up, but sure. Go for it. Is it just having a broad range of ideas already? Like you're being well read, for example, that would be a well-developed nomological network okay. as I understand it. So a nomological network is just the network of ideas that you already understand and have digested and can, can wield effectively. So like people saying that the banana, you remember that banana argument that was supposed to like count like the proof that God exists. They're saying that a banana fits perfectly in your hand. Look, if all the grooves conform to how the hand works, blah, blah, blah. But it's, if you don't have a, a developed nomological network, that sounds like it could be a convincing argument for intelligent design, which is that God created everything for us. But it is ignoring a lot of things like, for instance, pineapples or poisonous things or the fact that, I don't know, we've evolved bananas to be edible for us when they used to be much smaller and less tasty. So if you don't have a developed nomological network, if you don't have a developed system of ideas, we should say. System idea. Um, then yeah, because it sounds like a yeah. very complicated, confusing concept. But in simple terms, it sounds like being well-read, meaning having a well-developed network or system of different ideas that you can draw on to further explain. To develop a bullshit detector. There, I like that. There, there you go. It's a formal way of saying like, yeah, you have a good enough network of ideas that you can, you can detect bullshit easier. And so things like conspiracy theories or, sorry, MLMs are multi-level marketing. It's those really, really terrible systems that cause people to try to sell to all their friends and they end up ostracizing themselves a lot of the time. Religious <laughs> movements, that's when they start young. Smoking is another thing. They try to get you while you're young because they know that, they, that people are far less likely to start smoking after they're out of their teens. University disciplines, because you've only really studied the one, you don't know what's accurate or what's not. And so for me, like I was, ta- I was saying this before, I think this is another idea that I think Peterson's correct about is that people don't have ideas. Ideas have people. And I think Sam Harris kind of corroborates this somewhat where he's saying like, if an idea is compelling to you, you can't help but believe it. 
you don't choose to believe it. It's just that it hits you on a certain level that you're like, oh shit, that's true. And you can't defy it. And likewise, you can't force yourself to believe something that you don't. Like I remember when I was more religious, I was Catholic and I just couldn't force myself to believe in God because once I, it clicked to me that he doesn't exist. That's at least my observation and my conclusion. And I can't help but believe that even I choose to believe in God, I can't. Right. Okay. So, so this is where I think it's dangerous because if your system isn't broad enough, then you can be compelled by an idea that can throw you off. And in line with that, I've always kind of wondered if this is idea called the urn of invention that was proposed by a philosopher, Nick Bostrom. He said that there's an urn where you were constantly putting your hand in and pulling out balls. And the balls we pulled out so far are either gray or white. White means it's a technology that is completely benign and not benign, but not harmful and very useful. There's nothing really negative we can do with it. Like say penicillin. There's no real harmful application of that that I know of. But then the gray balls are ones that are both good and bad, like gunpowder. It's useful in a bunch of ways, but it also has been very harmful in other ways or nuclear technology. Finally, there are black balls. Black balls are the ones that are so dangerous and so harmful that it could destroy us and be an existential threat to destroy all of humanity just by having this idea out there. And once it's out, it's out. There's no putting the genie back in the bottle, as they say. No putting that toothpaste back in the tube. Right. So personally, as somebody that tries to consume a lot of information and a lot of ideas and I enjoy it, I have expressed this to you that I'm sometimes worried that I'll just come across an idea that I can't help but be compelled by that will basically drive me insane. I'll just become so crazy eccentric that I just lose it. <laughs> but then I realized, I mean, it's, it's a plausibility, right? Like if oh, you're constantly wow. ingesting information, you could be compelled by an idea that you're like, that makes sense and I don't like it, but I can't help but believe it and like to follow it to its logical conclusion. Like flat earth for example, it's the idea of a flat earth hits some people on such a gut level that they fall into this must be true. And then it drives mm. them down this rabbit hole of almost insanity. And I think that's equivalent to what you're talking about. It sounds like. Yeah. And then once the idea gets hold, it's very, very resistant to, to being extracted. If you think about it, like yeah. people who believe like that flat earthers, for instance, they just believe that the system's rigged against it and they, they are very, very resistant to any contradicting information. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's in there, man. And that's because their nomological network, their uh, network of ideas was unable to repel the attack. Cause Got it. it's yeah. So, so ideas as an immune system to bad ideas. Right. The, I mean, supposing you're able to get past the infancy stage, it's kind of like an infant right. mortality kind of situation where you have to continue developing your mind and ideas more broadly because that defends you against these really bad ideas that could sound convincing if you're less educated in the areas related to it. Like a lot of economic theory, people don't read economics. That's why I study these things because it's basically one of the pervading faiths of our day, essentially. And it's often used in a way that like, Oh, you don't get it, blah, blah, blah. Like this is clearly the only way it works. If we raise minimum wage, it'll obviously lower the amount of employment, but there's proof that that's not the case. And we need to actually look at the actual evidence and not just be convinced by just, just so arguments, which means like everything right now is just so because it's, it's the best of all worlds, which is crap. Yeah. I like, I like the metaphor that, that we talked about before this was the idea of being well read as insurance against being driven yes. insane by a, a particular bad one, like, like flat earth, for example, or something that that just happens to resonate in the right way. And it drives yeah. you away from everyone else. As you said, the multi-level marketing and, and then you become ostracized because you are just so bought in and you're 
overzealous perhaps yeah you're you're just invested it's it's internalized the idea to the point that it's not it's become part of your identity it's become ego yeah because like there is this whole appeal to to thinking you figured out something that the mainstream hasn't and frankly if you dive deep enough into enough ideas you can find a lot of ways that the mainstream is completely wrong the thing is though it's hard to tell if you're not widely read and i don't again i don't know if i'm widely read enough to not go insane at some point it's possible but that's kind of a minor fear but you can find stuff that contradicts the mainstream that is legitimate and the mainstream is wrong. Like for instance, the mainstream's perspective on fat, fat is always unhealthy in its perspective a lot of the time, which is wrong. And that's based in myths from Ansel Keys days. But then there's other things that like you think that you're clever and that society is just wrong and everyone else is just sheep, like say anti-vaxxers or anti-maskers or anti-COVID or anti-environmentalism, all these, these movements. It's just people feeling, I guess, superior than the mainstream and then other people because they're in on the secret they figured it out they think so conspiracy theorists in a sense the idea of being well read as insurance against being a victim of uh, a conspiracy theory that drives you to be overzealous and then drives you to be ostracized in a sense and you are particularly concerned about this because you are living a deinstitutionalized lifestyle. You don't work within the normal institutions. You're unmarried. And so you're relatively untethered, one may mm. say. And yeah. the land project we talked about before of, of buying some cheap land and building a, a co-op. A co-op. There we go. Yeah. It's a, it seems like a, a more, yeah, definitely not a commune. <laughs> at, at most it'll be a co-op. Yeah. A, this would create an alternative lifestyle, which would make you susceptible to perhaps uh, certain ideas that would drive you insane, as you said. <laughs> Yeah, because like removing people from society is one of the tactics of cults, and that's something I want to completely avoid. Yeah, you don't want to create a cult. No, I don't. I don't have any interest in that. I want to help people as much as possible and not just self-aggrandize. And so I also need people in to keep me in check. And that's what. Okay, so as institutions defining that, like the institution of friendship, there are people that keep you from going too crazy in that way. Like if you start thinking you are something that you're completely not, then your friends will really back and mock you for doing that and be like, no, 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 that's not you. What? And they'll tease you for it. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I tease you about shit all the time. And I guess vice versa. But so the, the strategies to avoid going insane, I guess, would be to shelter yourself from ideas and not not learn very much. Just focus on what's directly in front of you. And lots of people do that. The other is to conform to the culture around you. It's almost equivalent to living in a bubble. It's almost like there's one way, if you don't ever want to get sick, there's an easy way to do that. We'll just use the, the metaphor we already have installed here. You don't pull any, you just don't ever put your hand in the urn of invention. You'd never pull any balls. The black balls in this case are ones that drive you insane. I think that's confusing though, in a sense, but my metaphor of, let's go with, you never want to get sick. You don't leave your house. So you, you don't ever challenge your immune system or the insurance metaphor. Uh, you never want to get in an accident. Uh, you just don't drive mm -hmm. or be driven. And then you're kind of pulling balls metaphor, which I think is a little confusing, but it works. Are you serious? It's the three colors of balls in this thing. There are like almost no black ones, but they do exist. And as you pull them out, you get more, in this case, ideas. So white okay. ideas are really beneficial. Got gray it. ideas are controversial and black are damaging. So it's almost, let's use like the lottery balls example. So you can, you can never pull any balls out 
like the, like the lottery. And that's equivalent to just never learning anything and as uh, avoiding ideas as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the equivalent to just avoiding any risk and uh, you, you don't learn anything new, but you're also not going to be fat a conspiracy theorist because if you avoid all ideas, then you're not going to stumble upon a bad one and that'll drive. Well, you. maybe because the thing is, I think that's actually very, very precarious because sometimes you, while you're walking around or engaging in the world as you must, on some level you can come across these things and then you're completely taken off, off balance. Right. Uh, anybody listening to this podcast is not at risk of that. I would say, well, you can't avoid all ideas. You'd have to be a hermit, no. but then you and I, we have two different approaches that are more functional. Yours is the institutional route and mine is by building a huge system of ideas, not much cool system. Oh, so, so mine is conforming to society and yours is being well read. More so. Yeah. If we had to black and white it. Yeah. I think we, we both have like, I have the institution of friends that kind of keep me in line. You have the institutions of family, friends and marriage. And I guess maybe the church with through your wife. Not so much. Uh, we, we don't really attend uh, uh, more like the Christmas Easter type church. I guess <laughs> holiday, holiday Christians. Anyway, yeah. you, you have more standardized systems that are more respected and installed, pre-installed with the operating system of our society. You have family, marriage, and, and friendship. I just have friendship because I, my family, I don't bounce too many ideas off of. I think we do consume the same amount of ideas. The difference is that my ideas are, are more focused. I guess our first episode, the Fox and the Hedgehog, we really talked about this is I consume ideas just as rapidly and vigorously as you, but they're in more concentrated. Yeah. More concentrated field of mental health and addiction largely. Whereas you're yeah. highly well read as well, but uh, just across a random assortment of things from botany to economics to mental health and addiction to philosophy. I mean, my main goal is to understand people. That's why I started with psychology, then moved outward ever more since then. Cause it's like, if you want to understand people, how they work, you have to look at sociology and then anthropology, poli sci, economics, all these things that are driving factors. Like you've gotten into learning about trees and plants and all that recently too. Yeah. Because it's all like in systems that influence us <laughs> and how we interact with them. I guess your idea immune system or network is stronger in that it's, it's broader. Well, yes, but I would also say that starting in the soft sciences, so psych particularly, and particularly in the subcategory of cognitive psych, how we think, that would probably be one of the best places to start, in my opinion. Maybe like I'm obviously biased because that's where I kind of started, but it's the most useful because you can see how the mind works and how it can betray itself <laughs> because we can be convinced by things that are not convincing because we don't understand how the mind works sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a really good book on that. Thinking fast and slow. Perhaps that one, but there was one that was like, you're not as smart as you think or something like that. You're now less dumb. How to conquer mob mentality, how to buy happiness and all the other ways to outsmart yourself. Yeah. And this is kind of going back to, <laughs> this is getting a, a bit of field, but this is kind of going back to seeing yourself as an employee that you are you are working with, or maybe your body as a robot that you're kind of controlling. It has a bunch of desires and drives and stuff that are built in that you have to try to exploit and a bunch of flaws in the way we are like our willpower and thinking and shit. We, we need to examine the actual systems to see how we can most optimally employ them and, and wield them to get what we actually want, what's best for us. And so that's the cognitive distortion realm of things or logical fallacies as well. 
Yeah, I'm thinking more another domain that you've talked about a bit before, not in the podcast, of uh, New Year's resolutions. Because like those are a perfect example of how we are unruly employees and need to... <laughs> keep ourselves in check by, by learning how we actually function. Cause like, you know, my, my contempt towards new year's resolutions. Right. I think a lot of people have similar contempt. Well, how does it work? If you, since you want to talk more, you can try to explain this to me. How does what work? The contempt. What is the, what's the root of the contempt? <laughs> since I want to talk more. <laughs> the root of the contempt is that everyone knows they're temporary and, and they don't work. I think that's the... Yeah, it's designed to fail. It's yeah. designed with like good intentions, but then like, eh, well, I didn't do it. No surprise. Well, I'm just like everybody else. I failed. Great. Let's go back to exactly how it was before. We'll try again next year. <laughs> try again next year self-improvement. Yeah. I think you hate it so much too because self-improvement is like an, a daily thing for you. And, and for both of us, we're very highly focused on personal development and all of that. And so it's like once a year, people kind of dip into our area that we've been just doing every day in, in different ways. Maybe it is that like the, the new, the fake newcomers. And I should just encourage them cause that's, that's better. You don't want to gatekeep. Are you, are you developing an identity around self-improvement is my thing. Look at all these newcomers. No. <laughs> I think it's more just, I, I would rather they be more practical about it and not because the problem with a lot of these goals is that they make them so big, like get fit, but that's, that can be broken down to a bunch of smaller steps and just quote, get fit is not a plan. And it's going to be changing so many things that you're going to probably fail because you're changing too much. So that's, I think you, you don't really get these insights into those things unless you're constantly trying to practice it. Right. Yeah, exactly. So if, if you're doing it once a year, you're like, wow, I failed. Oh, well. And then you forget the lesson, whatever it was, if you took anything away from that failure. Mm -hmm. But a lot of time, because it's expected to fail because it's a new year's resolution, then it's not, people don't examine it too deeply, I guess. I don't know. Who, who knows? Maybe it's, yeah, it's violating my, my own ego. <laughs> Just encourage people. Yeah, I should. Should? Yeah. Do you, do you want to? I'm shooting myself. Don't should yourself. Don't should on yourself. <laughs> be, be kind to yourself. It's okay. Yeah, self-compassion. Um, so I don't really have anything else really to say on this topic anymore. We're just kind of spitballing because I've gone through all my loose notes. I'm not done. Aren't you? Oh, I didn't know that this was your topic. What, what else you got to say there, Steve? I wanted to talk more about uh, how you being well-read stops you from being driven insane by a stray idea because you're relatively untethered. I don't talk like that. You know, I talk random kind of a wandering, drunken, meandering around topics that they are related. Yeah, it can be difficult to tie them back in. I, I've experienced that myself through the editing. So I'm like, what was I talking about here? I do end up coming around usually, but your, your monologues are like a drunkard's walk. There's a book called that actually. Yeah. I think it's Nassim Taleb, isn't it? I think so. No, that's fooled by randomness. I have read the drunkers walk though. It's about stats and I think numbers. Yes. Yeah, so you're stumbling around different topics and ideas and I'm just, all I'm trying to do is clean up and focus things. You're my, you're my intellectual maid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, got some stuff over here. Gotta, gotta sort this out. What does this do? <laughs> All right. So you want me to talk about that? I'll talk about it, I guess. Yeah. So what I was saying was because I'm not locked into any institutions like this and most of my friends are less conventional, they don't have nine to five jobs. A lot of them They're a lot of them are nomadic, the digital nomads, or they are in other cultures. They have different perspectives to begin with. So it doesn't tether me to any kind of shared culture between us. 
And so it's just purely whether it makes sense to them. And so they could probably encourage ideas that here would seem like really outlandish and, and wrong. So I don't have those institutions. So I'm kind of up to figuring out how things work on my own, which I mean, I, on my one hand, I, I already find a drive to understand everything and I want to know everything. But I, at the same time, I think it's it's both dangerous, but also further increasing your defense. So it's like, I guess it's kind of inoculation in a way, like taking a small amount of poison to build up your tolerance so that if like a substantial amount were to come along and somebody tried to poison you, then you'd survive it. But if, if a strong enough poison comes along that you aren't inoculated against, you still could be knocked off. And so like we're never entirely safe when exploring these things. I'm curious, why don't you just use like the vaccination metaphor? Because that's kind of what you, you just said with the poison examples. You're getting vaccinated against bad ideas by smaller amounts of no i don't like that because it's poison you have to do slow and build it up over time your tolerance vaccinations like a one and done or maybe like a booster shot or two shots so it, it's not the same system that's why i chose poison okay but let's say uh, let's use the vaccination example taking in a small amount of bad ideas protects you against said bad ideas Related bad ideas, I would say. There's there's a post on Late Star Codex, that's it. It's called the cowpox of doubt. So cowpox was originally what we did where we inoculated because vaccination and inoculation are not the same thing. So inoculation, I believe, is more broad. I think it means like you can come across a related disease that's less deadly. So you're now immune to the the harder disease. And so smallpox was extremely dangerous and deadly, but cowpox was less so. So people exposed themselves to cowpox and that immunized them to inoculated them against smallpox. So that's how we started. But he's arguing that there's something called the cowpox pox of doubt. It inoculates you against doubt because by talking about critical thinking or stupid ideas, we usually use extreme and obvious stupid ideas like lizard men are controlling the world or the, the earth is flat. By using these examples, we make it seem like bad ideas are super obvious. And when you see them, you will know them right. that to be stupid. And so then you're less likely to examine it. So I think it's you basically just have to be ever vigilant. It's a lot of effort to, to be outside of established culture. Culture is there to protect us in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so if you are more of a countercultural type uh, like yourself, more deinstitutionalized. Countercultural and deinstitutionalized. Those two things together is the, the dangerous combo. Yeah. And so to protect yourself, be well read in an ever vigilant critical thinker, perhaps. Yeah, just never let your guard down. (laughs) (laughs) Just be extremely anxious. I'm not talking about like my personal experience. I'm not trying to like pat myself on the back. It's just more exploring this orientation. It seems like you would have to be vigilant in that way. Because like you, your wife will tell you like you you do use me and your wife as an institution to to check whether your quality is good or whether you're on track to what you want to be. Right. Yeah. And I guess I use some friends like that. I use you in the same way. Yeah. So your friends and your network are your insurance policy, but your ideas are another layer of of insurance against being gone astray. Right. Being outside, operating outside the system and and challenging a lot of the fundamental assumptions. And going astray, I guess, is, is your goal. But when we, when we say that we're talking about going astray in a way that's not so positive. It's a, it's a way that actually isolates you, not necessarily by choice. I'm not sure I follow. Like, for example, if you become a a zealous multi-level marketer and 
everything just becomes just a mark that I can possibly earn the money from. What's, what's one of those multi-level marketing products? I actually never told you that. I don't know if I told you this, that somebody in my family, a, a relative of one of my relatives, not directly related to me, actually tried to convert me to be a, an MLM person. For what product? The product was, I think it was electricity or maybe a point of sale service, but it was something that they offered apparently a really good rate or maybe it was, it was some sort of utility, I think related okay. thing, maybe point of sale. If they used it, they would get a better rate and I would get a cut of it. So it'd be a great idea, blah, blah, blah. And they got me they approached me rather at one of my lowest points economically and I had no prospects. And so it was something that would have been tempting, but luckily my system of ideas was strong enough at the time to repel it because it was a bad idea and I'm glad I didn't go for it. It seemed clearly to be a bad idea. Now, the more that I know about multi-level and marketing as well, I got approached a second time when I was working at a random dead end job at Tim Hortons and Wilfrid Laurier university. One of my coworkers heard my talking about like, I don't know, business or whatever. And she said, you seem like you could, you could like this. And we went and I still have no idea what they sold because they were just talking about converting people. It was, there's the sales for the other salespeople, it seems which is exactly how those systems work. What's wrong with multi-level marketing in terms of like, if you want to sell a Sensi, what, you know, you know Sensi is multi-level. I know what that is. The wax that you, you put in little heaters and then it sends up your room really good. You're not familiar with Sensi? No, I'm not. Wow. Okay. See, this is, this is also being outside of the system that like, I will not know these things because even know, well, for one, I don't want to. You didn't to. even know Lil Nas X and... Yeah, we've already talked about that and I'm still proud to not know that song because it's a combination of two genres I do not like. Anyway. Wow. Okay. So... <laughs> I know who he is now because of his, um, the, the Satan video, which is so overblown and stupid. But yeah, I know who Lil Nas X is because of that debacle. Yeah, but you never heard of him before that. So that, that says something. Or Tupperware. Let's go with that. You know what Tupperware is, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's the very first multi-level marketing. What's wrong? Was wildly successful. What's wrong with selling Tupperware? The problem is that you're constantly selling to your network. So you're basically having to constantly sap money or like guilt money out of your relatives and your friends and you're constantly in sales mode. So it's like, it's like if you're somebody who, okay, so some people think that men and women can't be friends and it's like a guy who thinks that men and women can't be friends, but all of his contacts are female. So he's going to constantly burn his relationships by trying to sleep with them instead of treating them just like another person. And likewise, in this way, you're, you're kind of, you're objectifying the people in your network to gain something from them, whatever it is what you want. And sure, you're selling them something, but they often aren't buying it because they still want it. And really the system isn't designed for you to sell that much. I mean, if you're a really good salesperson, have a great network, then you can probably do well. I think you said your, your parents had like this old version of this that they actually, they did pretty well because they're, they're sociable in that way. Right. But if you don't, then you're constantly just turning people off because every time you talk to somebody, you're probably just trying to sell them something, trying to take from them. Okay. Got it. Okay. So this is good that we explored this and I led you down this path of excavation because a lot of people would be like, what's wrong with that? And, and this makes a lot of sense because now your, your newsfeed is just blowing up with someone who's just like, buy this, come to my Tupperware thing, this, and, and then you meet. But it goes further though. Cause like the, the main thing is it's a pyramid scheme. Like you get a chunk of the, the sales of the people below you. And so they're constantly pushing people to get more converts. That's why it's a multi-level yeah. marketing. Yeah. It's a bunch of people pushing to other people to convert more people. Uh, and the product is not so important as it is converting extra people under you. So you can keep skimming off the top. It's a pyramid scheme. So it's not so much about buy my Tupperware. It's about 
sell Tupperware and then get someone else to sell it under you. Yes. Get as many good salespeople for this product under you as possible. Correct. Yeah. Don't sell it. That's not profitable. It's more, more, it's passive income. They, they try to sell like, be your own boss, passive income. But the thing is you have to, a lot of time you have to buy a lot of the products up front. And then if you're not a good salesperson, then you're just stuck with all this stuff. And that's where a lot of them make their money. <laughs> People who think they can, they can move products and they can't. It's kind of tarnished the, the concept of passive income quite a bit because the way we are approaching it is very, very different than that. For sure. And okay. The thing is passive income. I don't even know why people think this is not possible. What do you think the leisure class is? If you're not working class, then you you don't have to. Okay. So the working class, if you stop working, then you can't live. Yeah. It's selling your time for money. Yeah, effectively. But the class that's not the working class, the, the leisure class can opt to not. And that's because they have passive income that can support them. They're, they're financially independent, mm. which means that their money is making enough money or interest or whatever they've got invested in. They continue like money yeah. buying real estate and investing in stock markets and stuff is the traditional way of doing passive income, but there are still ways with the internet, right? You're getting dividends or rent. Yeah. With, with technology, we've been able to figure out ways that you can automate your approach to these things. Yeah. And we talk, if you're interested more in that, that we talked, our whole last episode was about this. Right. Yeah. Being sucked into having to maximize all of your, your time for, for profit, which that should not be the goal. Yeah. And we talked about jumping out of internalized capitalism through, you know, your land project or building a co-op. And so if you're interested in that, you might want to check out that episode. Anyway, uh, I have a couple quotes. Let's see. One is, is Bruce Lee. And he says, quote, to waste time is to expend it thoughtlessly and carelessly. We all have time to either spend or waste and it is our decision what to do with it. But once passed, it is gone forever. End quote. The reason I'm tying this in is because if you ingest something that you think is completely valueless and you don't bother performing any idea excavation on it, you don't, you don't take anything of value away, even if it's like a defense against similarly bad ideas, perhaps then you wasted your time. So regardless of what you're doing, you can probably find a way to make it useful. And I don't, say this in a sense of making money. I mean, in growth sense, right. improving yourself. I was going to say, is there some internalized capitalism there? Hmm. <laughs> no, I, going back to like the first or second episode, I was saying that I think everyone has a potential to be great in some way, but it constantly takes refinement and improving yourself in ways that you can, you can keep moving forward and to reach your potential as a pro social way. I think we kind of owe it to the people in our lives, maybe not society, greater. Some people are kind of against that whole thing at this moment, but it's, we kind of owe it to the world, I guess, to, to maximize our gifts so that we can help as many people as possible with them to, to benefit people. Right. Yeah. Love it. Is that your ending? Yep. That, that's it. That's all I got. I always have some nice endings to wrap it up. I'll give you that because Throughout, you're, you're drunkenly meandering and I'm trying to figure out where we are, what you're talking about and where we're going. And then you always just kind of show up with this well-crafted, putting the bow on the top. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, I'm pulling from various different fields a lot of the time and I can see the connections there. But unless you understand the, the concepts from those areas, you won't understand what the hell I'm talking about sometimes. <laughs> And so then it seems like I'm speaking randomly, but I'm actually trying to pull in an idea that actually supports the idea I'm making. And so it, it's a, a roundabout way of doing things. So this episode was somewhat meta in a sense. Which is the topic I do want to cover oh, next. No. <laughs> uh, well, my, my next lead one, your next lead one, we already know what it, what's going to be. Surprise. It'll be a surprise. <laughs> 
Steve's leading yet another one. He's stepping, stepping up, up, hosting it on his website now, Ooh, too. Yes. If you're listening from his website, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in and share this with your friends, please. If you know anybody that would be interested in these ideas, share it. And if you like giving a review, go for yeah. it. If you know someone who's a super geek like us or needs some intellectual immunity to follow our metaphor, please share it with them and enjoy if you keep listening in the future. Take care. Rip yeah. the Band-Aid off. Blowing or sucking, but they're doing something. <laughs> I bet you'll put that at the end of the show.